And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Live from the bunker, ladies and gentlemen, wrapping up our week with a special musical episode, I guess you could say. And uh, we are very excited about that because this has taken me quite a bit of time to set up. I, I will I will get into that a little bit later on. Hello, everyone. Jason Hunt here in the studio. We are live from the bunker here on Sci-Fi for Me TV. And... A couple of pieces of housekeeping. We are at 88 days without an incident. And if you are so inclined, if you want to buy some swag, we do have a discount code set up over at SuperheroStuff.com. Sci-Fi for Me 10, when you uh, check out, you can get 10% off your order. And uh, Mazerus, welcome in the chat. Uh, my workspace looks like yours. Well, you know, mine's actually kind of cleaned up for, compared to what I've usually done. <laughs> So uh, so here we are, and uh, it is something that we have been uh, working on. I've been chasing for quite a while. Joining us today, uh, the partners of the Dynamic Music Partners, Christopher Carter, Lolita Ritmanis, and Michael, Mc Michael McQuistian. That's right. I'll get that <laughs> out. Uh, I'll get that out a couple of, a couple of different ways. Um, so welcome all. And... Uh, Chris, it's I guess in the in the spirit of full disclosure, Christopher and I went to college together back in the day and worked yeah. on worked on this movie. Oh my goodness. This is from 1994. It's a movie called A Matter of Honor starring uh Jackson Bostwick, he of Shazam. Captain Marvel Shazam. Yes. Uh and and I have to say, I am sitting on an interview that I did with Jackson from almost a year ago, and it's just been one of those things that's just been on my to-do pile, and I have not gotten to it, but eventually, one of these days, maybe, we'll see. So, uh, so Chris and I have been going back and forth a number of times on email talking about, well, let's do an interview, let's talk about what you guys are doing and, and stuff. And we finally get to do this. So I'm I'm very excited to have the three of you here. And it's kind of a free form conversation. People are gonna be coming into the live chat and, and uh everybody's welcome to drop their comments and questions and we will pass those along and we'll get to it. So welcome everyone. Thanks so much. So I guess Chris Chris let me start with you for for a second because because we've got a little bit of history I want to kind of set up a couple of things because when you were in the film production class with us at the University of North Texas one of the things that you had said at one point was that uh being being a music major being the being the composer being the person that you know, doesn't really get into making films, but you were there and you said it was because you wanted to learn the process of the whole thing as part of becoming a composer for films. So let me ask you this now, 30 years later, has that turned out to be the case? Has, you know, learning about film production helped with composing music for media? 
gosh, it's it's essential. I mean, I, I think that that was um, something that I was saying at the time because I really had no clue. I was very much a do-it-yourself film composer because North Texas didn't have an established film scoring program. I was a classical composition major. And the fact that I wanted to work for film um, wasn't something that was uh, immediately supported by, by the school itself. So I actually had to go out on my own to the film department, make the connections like I did with you and Scott Murphy and um, all, you know all these uh, amazing up-and-coming filmmakers and say, hey, I want to learn this too. And um, I suppose it was actually rather even naive to me to say at the time that it wasn't essential because as I came out to Hollywood and I learned really how filmmaking is, is uh, done here, the collaborative aspect of it, uh, I really began to see myself as a filmmaker who does music. It's like you have your, your grip and you have your camera department, you have your makeup department, you have all these different departments. Really, composing is just one more aspect of that. And, um, and collaborative in every sense of the word, collaborating with the filmmakers, collaborating with Michael and Lolita. It's all about working together and making, uh, making the film the best that it can be. Uh, so uh, yeah, it was definitely kind of a, of a surprise to me that in fact, that's exactly what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> I'm glad it worked out that way. Now, uh, it, when, I, when I heard uh, after, after we'd all graduated and gone our different ways, I had heard uh, that you had started working with Shirley Walker. And I thought, oh, that's so cool. That's so, that, that he's going to be so excited about that. And it turns out that all three of you have worked with Shirley Walker. And is that was that the beginning of the partnership? Did you all were you all working with Shirley at the same time? Is that how you met? How did you how did you three come together? Well, um, Chris is a little younger than we are, <laughs> so actually, yeah, just a little bit. We're not going to talk numbers, but uh, but anyway, yeah. Uh, so what happened was Shirley had begun working on her Batman the Animated Series show and as she was uh, starting that process she was assembling a team of young composers that she wanted to mentor and um, I think Lolita and I were probably the first two composers that she tried out in that process it ended up to be all, I think 35 composers by the end of that process but we I think Lolita and I were first out of the gate for some reason it just turned out that way and so she and I developed a friendship as a result of um, working on the show with Shirley. We, we knew each other because we were actually we would actually go out to Shirley's place together to play our cues for Shirley. And we got to know each other that way because we were both so terrified that we were just it was like a confessional on the way to the you know, to Shirley's house. And then afterwards, it was like the sigh of relief, the collective sigh of relief. So later on, Chris went through that same process. And that's how we ended up meeting him. So really, Dynamic Music Partners wouldn't have happened if it weren't for Shirley kind of, you know, picking her, the people that she really wanted to work with and having us work with her first for, I, what was it, like seven or eight years we worked for her, um, you know, with her being the supervising composer before we even decided to stay together as a, as a threesome. But she kind of made it all happen for us. and bridge the age gap as it were <laughs> yeah we we all work together um but we also had our you know other other things that we were doing in our musical lives at the same time i mean chris has to date i, I mean countless uh fantastic horror and kind of creepy films that he's scored and <laughs> and michael's done some brilliant uh work on his own um 
most notably recently, I think, was the Griffith Observatory um, Time's Up piece that's that played there, and I've done quite a bit of work on my own. So Shirley's Shirley's whole, whole mentorship was not to, I'm going to bring in these people and, and put them in this musical cage and not let them out. It was it was an opportunity to nurture our talent, to to also teach us about the business and um, eventually kind of kick us out of the nest so that we would hopefully not just go straight down and plop. Um, the business is a tough business. It, it's it's much tougher now than it was back then, but but she certainly g gave us a lot of tools to prepare for it. So. Well, and the three of you have, have not only survived that business, but you've also thrived. I mean, you, a number of Emmy nominations, you've won the Emmys, uh, you've gone and and performed and composed and conducted uh, you know in various different places around the world and this is not you know i i would suppose and assume that after all this time this seems to be working for the three of you so what what makes this partnership continue to work after all of these years because you guys have been together for quite some time we have um First of all, I, I think that what was, was kind of unique about us was the idea that we were a team that was open about the team. And because um, everybody has a team, the, the schedules, the, the post-production timeframes are so short, you really do have to have help. You really do have to have um, people to get the work done. And um, we decided a long time ago that that we wanted to be upfront about that that we're all working together we're all composing the music we're all conducting and orchestrating and doing all the work that we have to do together as a visible three you know trio and i think what makes it work is is a lot of a lot of trust in each other and a lot of support of each other and a lot of open communication and it's 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 things that we wouldn't be able to do if we didn't say we're all going to put our 100% effort into making this partnership succeed as you know all together uh, yeah I think we we each have different strengths also that we bring to to our partnership right um, we each have different musical interests and different musical backgrounds and we each have different things that we like about you know the business aspect of it and different things that we each are have have as strengths in in the overall process there's so many different parts to being a film composer writing music is just one small part of that there's i mean there's mathematics there's uh, just running your own business as a self-employed person there's communication and contacts there's publicity there's networking um not to mention all the filmmaking stuff i mean there's just there's so many different skills that are involved and, and i think each of us have have our favorites that we like in that process and they're different between us and michael i think your your background is mostly in jazz is that right and then Chris oh, I would love it if that were true. <laughs> wow, I'd be unstoppable. Um, no, <laughs> no, my background is is not most. Well, I mean, it depends on what you, how you define jazz. My my background is mostly was mostly in musical theater as a kid. Okay. Um, and classical music because I studied classical piano since I was five, and then I studied clarinet after that, and I was part of performing ensembles as a pianist in my hometown in Missouri and you know it was a very small town and we, there weren't that many people in town that even played piano and so you know even as a kid I was kind of drafted to like be the accompanist you know in the in the pit for the 
local community theater and that, that kind of thing. So that's sort of my my background. But then I went on to study um, classical composition as well, because I, I, classical music was always my favorite. I don't know why I was super geeky classical kid. I mean, but that's just that's just me. Not the jazz kid so much. I would have been so much cooler if I was a jazz kid. <laughs> I guess uh, maybe no, I'm I, making that assumption from some of the some of the the titles of the compositions and some of the people that you've worked with. So that that oh, would, well, that's on me. So. Hey, I, I've done a good job with the PR then, so that's good. <laughs> I, I, I appear a lot cooler than I really am. Is that what, what we're saying here? Um, but anyway, no, my background is in classical music. All so, right. <laughs> Chris, you've got a lot of electronic stuff that you've been doing because the DJ work you're doing a lot of uh, of electronica stuff. Uh, yes. Lolita, is is there a particular uh, genre, field, niche that that you hail from. I, I'm seeing a lot of co uh, a lot of composition, a lot of concert stuff. Uh, are you also in that uh, in that realm with the with the classical background, or? You know, I do have a classical background. I I studied classical piano and and was quite proficient. Um, but I grew up thinking that I would be the next singer songwriter superstar. And uh, lucky for a little bit of common sense that kicked in somewhere around age, age 18, after I'd moved down to Los Angeles at age 17, um, I switched over to more serious composition. But, but film scoring, arranging, I mean, that's, that's really my first kind of love. Um, and I'm a songwriter. I definitely write a lot of songs. Um, the concert thing has been tremendous because for me, the greatest joy um, is... Well, I should say, no, the greatest joy for me is just the fact that for some crazy reason, when I was born, I had some little stardust on my head that allowed me to compose music. So some people say, how do you do that? I don't know. I don't know. That just happened. When I was a little kid, I was already writing music. So to find some sort of a vocation where I actually get paid to write music and then to be able to harness the wonderful plethora of knowledge that there's out there, to learn from film composers, learn from our great classical composers, learn from theater composers and rock and roll artists and EDM artists. I mean, I love all of it. I love nothing uh, more than all of it. So I can't say there's only one thing that I love, but I just, I, I love entertainment. I love popcorn at a movie theater. I love listening to Chris's music and, 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 and dancing to it or listening to a theme Michael's written and just it bringing me to tears. So I'm very fortunate to have something I'm so passionate about and be able to earn a living doing it. So. And the yeah, Jason, if I could just interject, yeah. I, I mean, I think that you were asking what makes a partnership work. We definitely all are each other's cheerleaders and, and our biggest fans. And it's wonderful to be inspired by each other. Um, one of the other things about the partnership that's been so amazing is that it'll, it gives us the freedom to pursue our passion projects in addition to the partnership. So I've worked on independent films. I've been doing my, you know, the, the DJ and electronic music with the KR protocol. Lolita has just scored the biggest film of Latvia in forever that won the Latvian Grammy. And I just want to say that the Blizzard of Souls, which will be coming out at some point worldwide soon. It's in England. It's in China. England. It's in Scotland. It's you know, it's it's making its way. <laughs> you know, we we uh, there were there were times when she had to uh, be really focused on that, and the partnership could help take up some of the slack for that. But I, that that time away, you can tell just the joy and the passion coming out of that music. I, so definitely check out Blizzard of Souls. 
Soundtrack is available on lalaland.com. Oh, I love See, this, that's how we're part of it. Plug, plug, plug. Yeah, little plug there. Lalaland yeah. Records. Now, the opportunity to be each other's cheerleaders in a support group and all of that, that, that kind of goes, I'm, I'm looking at the, the comment from Sci-Fi Snob in the chat, you know, and he's making the joke. You talk about, you know, Lolita, you talk about musicians in a cage making the joke. Um, was, was part of the process, has part of the process ever been any kind, has there ever been any kind of competitive element uh, maybe not necessarily antagonistic, but, uh, you know, oh, well, you know, Chris just did this. I have to do this. Was there, has there ever been, uh, you know, a sense of not necessarily one-upsmanship, but who, who gets the next accolade? Well, I'll, now it's my turn. Now I need to do something or it's a challenge, you know, well, you know, uh, we just won an Emmy. Now, what do we do next? Lolita just got this this movie. Now, I need to go do something. Have Have you kind of fed into that a little bit, and and challenged each other, and and encouraged each other to do the next thing? Wow, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> I am scared to death for the most part that I will when I hear Mike's and Chris's music and we're previewing for a producer it's like I just hope my my stuff measures up it's like oh my god they are incredible and I listen to them and I honestly mean that it, but then I remember I am so lucky we're on the same team so if one of us succeeds it really is something where we we are all lifted up and I've had moments of great inspiration. And then I've had moments where it's like, I just, it's not coming to me. I'm not getting any really great ideas and something Michael will do or Chris will do will be that extra nudge. And it's because, and it's within our, with, within our safe space of this incredible thing that we've created over the years. So it's, uh, I think the competitiveness is, is um, to compare yourself to others is absolutely worthless. So it's more like you're, you're comparing yourself to yourself and how you can improve as a composer. And that goes for other things too, as a human being, you know, just to say, well, so-and-so's got this and so-and-so's got that. That's absolutely no, no good, so. Well, I think one of the reasons we formed our partnership is because we didn't want to compete against each other. Um, I mean, we all, I, I have so much respect for Lolita and Christopher and what they do and it inspires me all the time every time I hear something that they've done. I don't want to compete against that. I don't want to have to try to go up against that. It, the fact that we are working together and presenting ourselves together, I mean, the strength that we get from, from each of us bringing our best to the table is way stronger than any one of us would be, you know, on our own. And I think, I think it's, you know, the fact that that I know I don't have to compete against them makes me, <laughs> makes me relax and, and write better music. So there's there's that. <laughs> now, uh, when I'm I'm looking on the on the website for Dynamic Music Partners, I don't see an official start date. When did you officially come together as a partnership? Was that while you were working on Batman Beyond, Batman animated series, uh, sometime in there? Or when when did that happen? Our official start date was 2004 actually December in 2004 um, so we had already been a team long before that but 2004 is when we finally said let's 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 uh, make this official and yeah, I think it was Justice League yeah 
and the Warner Brothers animation seems to be the the go-to. Your, your names show up on a lot of that. Is that just simply because they're used to you guys and they're happy with your work, or has that been one of those kind of a legacy thing where, you know, it was it was Shirley's gig, and then you guys worked with her, and now you're you're taking the baton, as it were, and you're the next the next generation, for lack of a better word, uh, to inherit that mantle because you guys have been doing a lot. Uh, you're working on Young Justice. You were on Justice League. You were on Batman Beyond. Is that something that just it's it's just a given that you're going to be working on that? Do you guys constantly have to keep pitching? Um, we we have been so lucky to have such a nice and amazing string of shows for Warner Brothers, but we we are actually one of of several composers, really talented composers that have been doing the, the long forms. I mean, Warner Brothers has a lot of animated content. And so, yes, we've, we've been really, really fortunate to be in that rotation, but we are in a rotation and there are, you know, there's plenty of other talented people, Freddie Wheatman and Kevin Riepel and uh, Kevin Manthe and uh, Robert Crawl and Christopher um, Drake. Uh, really, there's, there's, there's lots of people that have, have, uh, were, our colleagues doing music for animated superhero shows, but we also um, have, you know, stepped over the divide as it is, and we also write for Marvel too. We've been working for Marvel Animation for many years on their Avengers properties and their uh, female superhero-centric um, Marvel Rising, and uh, so we definitely are, are going on both sides of the, the divide. And then <laughs> the we have, you know, throw in Ben Ten in, in there. You know, we did. Oh ben sure, 10. yeah. I mean, we've Ben Ten Spider-Man. Yeah, Spectacular Spider-Man. So we've been kind of all over all over town. We did a, a Hasbro show called Kaijudo. Um, but you know, the players, the the uh, the showrunners, the creatives, they are they hop around from project to project. And um, if we are so fortunate as to work with people that we already have a creative shorthand with, um, boy, does that it's kind of like if you don't have to go on that first date every time when you have a new project. You can just stop with the nonsense dialogue and you can actually start talking, like speaking freely. It's, it is so freeing to the producer or the director and to us because they can just say, you know, I don't want that. You know, it's not like, well, how, how should I say this? You know, anyway, it's a, it's an ongoing process. It's not a given and there's no inheritance. You know, I wish I wish there were. <laughs> Can you make that happen? Can you just yeah, secure, so nice. secure our work until <laughs> until until I'm a hundred years old and and Chris is uh, eighty five or ninety. <laughs> <laughs> now, Chris, being being the baby of the group, has, has there been? Oh, not a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it is is there does that dynamic ever figure into it at all uh, in terms of of age experience or are you're all and I don't want to say you know Chris is the lesser because he's the younger I don't think that you guys are are into that but has there been uh, a, a, any point in the partnership where the 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 youth and the length and the amount of experience makes a difference in the conversations or everybody just comes in wherever they're at and you meet where you are? Uh, we definitely make a lot of jokes about it in settings like this, but I don't know that anybody that we work with even has a clue. It really, we, we are just the three composers. And you mentioned Mar Marvel and DC. Go ahead, Mike. 
I just wanted to just say Chris Chris started his career earlier than I started my career and I don't I don't know about you Lolita but certainly earlier than I started my career so whatever age difference there is between us we may have had relatively similar career windows if you just you know talk about the length of time that a person's been doing this I mean I I didn't I don't think I started doing what I was doing until I was like 25 or something I think he started like 21 or something so it's like you know it absorbs a lot of the buffer in there so yeah, I was doing a lot of performing. Um, I'm Latvian. My origin is, um, my parents came from Latvia. I'm, I'm bilingual. And uh, I did a lot of uh, performing with, uh, with singing groups and did conducting with, you know, for concerts. And so I was definitely full on, you know, I was always like the youngest, the youngest one to do this and the youngest one to do that. And uh, now that my kids are, you know, in their late 20s, it's like, I'm definitely not the youngest one anymore, but I certainly <laughs> feel it in my heart, you know. Now, you mentioned the Marvel and the DC stuff. Uh, I am also looking at a lot of titles, uh, anime and and video games, uh, and especially when it comes to the video games, is there a difference in the approach to how, how you compose? Because the structure of video games is such where if somebody, you know, the player makes a choice, you go this way, the player makes another choice, you go that way, uh, does the does the optional structure tree, the decision tree of video games, affect how you approach composing pieces for that, or is it just more music to write to to fit into the game? Well, I, I think that Mike probably has the best perspective on that because he, in addition to our DMP work, uh, worked on two standalone games for uh, for Activision. Activision, yeah. At the time. Uh, it- the video game industry had just sort of begun. It hadn't been. It was sort of in its infancy. I think it's much more mature now. Um, but at that time, the way that the games were structured, there were there was music that was happening while people were doing things, and then there were these set pieces that were needed. Um, um, they were kind of movie-like things in the middle, and so. Some, many times they would hire a composer to do a different composer to do that than they would to do the what was happening during the game. So I did a couple of different video games, both based on the Spider-Man property. Um, the first game that I did, um, the music that I recorded was in you know just in the in each level of the game, and there was no picture whatsoever. I just was recording pieces that were based on moods and levels and like fights and things like that and I knew generally what was happening but there was no pictures it was very different than film scoring because there was nothing I was not synchronizing to anything I wasn't you know I was just said we need two and a half minutes of you know they're at a zoo and we need two and a half minutes of you know very creepy zoo and I was like okay great so that's but that's very different than you know here's our picture and I need you to hit these things you know very very different process um and then the second game that I did, um, it was more like, well, here's a scene that's going to appear when somebody reaches this level. And we're going to have this, you know, minute and a half sequence where we're going to tell this story. And that was more like film scoring to me. Um, but the, in video games, the picture's done last. So it's all in reverse. Everything I was getting from them was like these blue backgrounds with like, crazy little you know i don't know what you call them logarithmic lines going in different places and like oh that's you know that's going to be a snowstorm and that's going to be you know so and so wearing a hat 
And but if they were just, you know, these weird wireframes that were doing things and there's going to be this huge explosion. And I would see like a few like squares just like pop out of something. And it's like, that's going to be a volcano erupting. <laughs> so I, you know, in film scoring, normally we're brought in at the end of the process when the picture is complete. Everything is looking really pretty darn good. It hasn't been color corrected necessarily, but at least, you know, visually, there's a lot for inspiration. But when you're given a blue background with a few wireframes and a couple of things that look like rolling dice, it's a whole it's a whole different ballgame. So I'm just trying to highlight the differences. I mean, obviously, you know, you want the you you find your inspiration in in the story and in what you're given, and you you in video games it's great because when you're scoring to that kind of a picture man the music makes a big difference you know there's so little to see that when you hear the music you're like oh that's the story oh that's the mood oh it, it somehow it all cements itself and then later on they finish all the picture and it looks incredible uh, but you never get to see that when you're <laughs> i didn't get to see that when i was doing it maybe it's different now but I the think, rendering just did yeah. not happen until the very last moment when right. i was doing this it's but. evolved it's evolved so in so intensely and of course i mean the video game market surpasses the income of film music film market and television oh I yeah mean, like it's in the like what it was it like around 150 billion or something like that it's just <laughs> It's just crazy, and um, I have um, you know a few of my colleagues that do this. That's their main thing is video game music. They, they it's it's many years of their lives. So I think it's it does it is it is different than bringing kind of being brought on brought on midstream. It's sometimes actually the music can dictate you know how certain things are going to evolve. You know. Yeah. Experience. Now, have there been conversations where people will come to you and say, okay, we've got this project and it's perfect for you because of a, of a, of a particular reason? Uh, have, have there been projects where it has to be you three, you know, and depending on you know, who's, who's running the project, or if it's, oh, it's just a, perf a, perf a perfect match or whatever, or is it just one of those things where it just kind of comes up in conversations like, yeah, we got this other project. Do you guys want to try to, you know, pitch something to us or what? How do you how do you find the gigs now as opposed to, you know, 15, 20 years ago? Well, I will tell you one funny story about being recognized for the work that we had done. We did go into a meeting with a huge line of executives and they said, um, we we love the music from Teen Titans. We want something for our show that's just like Teen Titans. And we kind of looked at each other and said, well, we're the composers on Teen Titans. And they said, great, then you'll know when you do your audition what to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, we nailed the audition, by the way. <laughs> has, has, there been a, has there been a project that you got invited to pitch that you just looked at it and, and you know, sideways glance no i don't we i don't think we want to do anything like that has there has have there been projects you turned down i expect there probably are but sure i mean we've turned down i mean if it's if it doesn't gel with our ethics i mean if there's there if there's a project that is basically you know i'm the production company and i'm going to keep the writer the composer's royalties for this project and i'm going to pay you you know a lunch and a you know maybe you know a hearty handshake um sorry you know not interested it doesn't mean that that everything has to be a tremendously high fee but if somebody is is going to 
claim authorship of something that I've done or Michael or Christopher, it, it feels creepy and it doesn't feel right. So that's a definite no-go, not interested in that. And then if somebody says, um, we, we want um, something that we've never ever heard before and we don't want it to be like this or like this or like this or like this or like this. And if all of those this are some things that we've done, maybe it's best not to do it. I mean, maybe it's best not even to throw the hat in the ring because there's a predisposition to, to uh, the fact that just the opinion is that, okay, well, that's, that's what they do. So right. it's okay to step aside. It's okay to step aside and, and cheer on your, your colleagues and do come around the next one. So. Yeah. I want to I circle back to that point, but, but your first point about the ethics of, of the thing. There are a lot of video game companies that are, that are falling under fire getting criticized for the for the crunch you know these you know 70 80 100 hour weeks got to get it done you're on a deadline in in the composing side of things how much what's the average amount of time that y'all get to work on these things because like michael says you're coming in at the end of it you're in post production the the editing is is for the most part done ish you got color timing and and all of that to put in but do you ever feel like you have not enough time to get it done? Or, or has it always been a comfortable window for you? We make it comfortable because, because there's three of us, we have an enormous amount of flexibility. And because all of us are capable of doing the whole thing ourselves anyway, we have a huge amount of flexibility in terms of the time element. So, I mean, we've scored a feature film that was like a two hour feature film and we did it in seven days because there's three of us, you know, and we all have our own studios. We all work simultaneously. We all can do any part of the process. We're not, you know, married to a specific linear process that, you know, will you do this part and you do that part and then I'll do my part and I have to wait for you to get done before I do what I do. No, we can work simultaneously and so, you know, we've had, it, it, the schedules very widely, you know, we might have a month to do one episode of a series because that's just the way the schedule turned out. And then we might only have a week to do the same, the same type of work, or we might have a couple of days. I mean, we've turned around demos in a day or two. And so because of our long relationship with each other and our, our the fact that we have this shorthand between us and we know how to divide things between us, um, we, we're pretty flexible with that. That's one of the really great things that the people that work with us experience is the fact that they don't have to worry about their deadlines, which are not always up to them, but are up to the networks and, and people like that. Right. And they don't have to be concerned about that with us. They know they're going to get a great product no matter what. Chris, let me ask you this. Going, going to Batman Beyond, what Lolita said about you know the styles and maybe we don't want this we want something more more like this or less like this the theme to batman beyond is most definitely not what you would expect a batman theme to be it's you know the electronic and it's it's very stylized it's you know it's 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 not the dark edgy you know, like you, we would expect from a Batman theme. Uh, and at the time, I, I, I noted that it was significantly different from anything that Danny Elfman had done, that Shirley Walker had done. Was that a conscious choice on your part to, to do something completely different because we're in a completely different environment, different setting, different characters? 
or was that something you had discussed with uh, the people at the show? And we want to go in a completely different direction and just really establish at the beginning that this is a different kind of Batman. Well, uh, I mean, Batman Beyond was still Shirley's show. We were still on Shirley's team. And um, in fact, we weren't even going to be approached for the show. Um, Shirley was had it was called into a meeting with Bruce Tim and the producers and they said exactly that we want something different you we love the work that you've been doing in this symphonic style for Batman the animated series and Superman but we just want to do something different and we don't think that uh, you guys are the right composers for that because you do symphonic scores so we're gonna go in a different direction and Shirley was astute enough to say you know let, let's let's not uh, close up that pigeonhole quite so quickly why don't you let us try to do something like what you want. And so we, we discussed, uh, you know, Shirley sat down with us, her team, and said, we have to, um, we're going to have to fight for this, this show. We're going to have to demonstrate that we're not just the um, dark symphonic orchestral composers that they've known of us. So uh, what, what had been talked about by the producers was things like Rob Zombie, like Nine Inch Nails, you know, popular music that they'd been they'd been familiar with and liked and, and thought would be uh, appropriate for this this futuristic, uh, dark, edgy sound. And they, I know you said it wasn't dark and edgy, but it is in fact pretty dark and edgy, <laughs> just in an electronic way as opposed to an orchestral way. Right. Um, and so we all created several pieces that uh, we thought would be in that style, and we put together a cassette tape, one of those retro analog recording medium <laughs> and this cassette tape had all of our music as well as some pieces from Rob Zombie and Nine Inch Nails and, and kind of all thrown together so as you could listen from one to the other to the other to the other you could see that in fact um, we, we had taken that, that those, those uh, directions to heart and in fact the Batman Beyond theme was just one of the pieces that we had done and in fact so you know, that it's really amazing that they chose that to be the, the-, the theme of the show, but they were also considering um, a couple different pieces. Lolita's uh, Joker Chase, which ended up being used in the pilot, was another piece that they were considering to be the theme. So it definitely was something that we all worked on together, responding to comments from, from what the producers wanted, even coming from a place of they didn't think that we could do it. So, <laughs> um, you know, for, for, for all the filmmakers out there, Give your composers a shot at it because they might just surprise you. Have you ever found yourself working on a project that you completely did not expect that you would ever be working on fill in the blank? Batman the Animated Series. (laughs) (laughs) Our first project. (laughs) I mean, that was kind of wild. I I think just working with some of the, just hearing that... uh, Oh, we're going to be at a recording session with uh, Mark Hamill. That's pretty wild. Or Neil Patrick Harris. That's kind of wild. But you just do it, you know, and you just go afterwards. You go, wow, what? what, That was incredible. Yeah, I think the idea of writing a Batman musical, something that had never been done before. When James Tucker came to us and said, "We're going to do, we're going to, we want you to do a Batman musical. We're going to do a Batman musical." We're just like. Well, first of all, the first of all is like, oh, my God. And then second of all, it's like, yeah, why not? Absolutely. Now, this Especially is the one since in... it hasn't been done. We need to break this ground. We need to make this happen. This is the one in Brave and the Bold? 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mayhem of the Music Maestro was the yes. name of the episode. <laughs> now, how much of that, when you talk about Mark Hamill being in and Neil Patrick Harris, how much, how much of their recording do you get to sit in on? I mean, are they just, are they just there for vocals if, if, if they have a musical part? Or are you, are you around at all for any of the the voice tracks just to kind of get a sense of the of the emotional dynamic and the and the energy of the scene? Do you ever get a chance to sit on all of those? Uh, generally, we don't because of the fact that for animation, the music is done after the voice record. Well, the scripts are written, the voices are recorded, they do the animation, and there's like a six to nine month lag there, and then post production where and where all the sound happens. So normally, all of the, the animation crew, including the voice talent, is already wrapped in on other projects by the time we even start. Um, unless there's something on screen that they are singing to, in which case then we write the song and we record that at the same time as they're doing all the other dialogue in the episode. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, normally we didn't get to see Mark Hamill being the Joker, except because in The Killing Joke, he had to sing on screen. So in that sense, we wrote the song you know, got that approved by Bruce Tim, and then got to go to that recording session, and and that was the first time that Mark had been had done the Joker in many years, and just sitting outside the studio, and you hear this iconic laugh, and you just you just it just takes us it just took me back to to working on on Batman the animated series, and then to have that you know that same uh, that same voice that you know singing music uh, and working with him that was was really really amazing. We all work at the rec at the record when we're recording the, the the songs, and it's it's just it's just a gas. It's so fun. I mean, that's when you're just like a kid in the candy store. So, um, two of us will be in the booth, and one person, one of us will be in the actual booth with the actor, and we'll use usually bring a little keyboard, and you know, plunk out the tune, and then the actor will sing it, and then. You know, we'll kind of take over producing. We'll work with the casting director, but um, you know, it was uh, for many of those things. It was Andre Romano, and then later, uh, you know, often like Jamie Thompson and Wes Gleason. And it's just—I mean—to to hear these these actors in their element is is just. It, I can't imagine any like the fans would just go nuts if I could magically just show you the whole those sessions. I'm just like a little kid there too. Because they can, they do incredible things. So, and hats off to them now. My goodness, during this pandemic, um, we've been in on a few of these sessions uh, through, you know, virtually, and they are killing it. I mean, they are working so hard to make sure that the fans get their content and get it on time. And they are, they are doing heroic efforts to make sure that this stuff is great. Now that was so that I was I was curious about because the three of you you each have your own studios that you can work with and and in, but there's really not uh, how much of an opportunity is there for a full orchestra, for example, to get together to record? I mean, are 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 we all electronic now and everybody's dialing it in from remote, or is there still? Uh, is there still a way that people have figured out how to record this with, you know, 30 or 40 pieces in a room? How, 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 how is that getting done now? Currently, it's both. That they're actually, in, especially in spaces in Europe where, you know, life has kind of gone back to normal. Um, they're having sessions, just full sessions. Uh, right now, uh, yesterday even, there was a session at the Fox Scoring Stage in, in West L.A., 
um, and they do keep social distancing between the musicians and they have to record all the musicians in separate sections so they do just the, the strings the violins the violas and the cellos and basses then they'll take everybody out and then bring in just the brass and just the woodwind so they do even though it's a group that's playing together the entire orchestra is still something that has to be put together and you contrast that with with uh, other shows that every single musician is in their own space and then somebody has to take every individual track and mix it all together have you noticed any kind of a difference in the in the sound in the tone for that because if you're if if you've got you know 42 piece orchestra in one room they're all together and they're all packed in it it seems to me just from from what little I've done with with this stuff that if you spread them out you've got more bounce you've got more you know it, there's an acoustic change has, has that something that's you know we just got to deal with that in post-production or are allowances being made for that do you do you know um, I haven't personally done any any of the recent work with the, the spaced out orchestra in one stage but um, you know the, the overdubbing part where every musicians in their own home studio I think what's really the biggest challenge about that is musicians are so used to responding to each other and these incredible incredible studio musicians even recording in their own spaces are still able to kind of feel like what it would be like to be all together and so what I've heard of, of recent scores it's it's remarkable how it still feels like they're playing together even though it's just their own little bit off mm -hmm. the corner no. Yeah, it's great that the attempt is even being made because there's so many of our, our friends who are really hurting, um, you know, going from kind of an upswing in bigger orchestral scores for television and, of course, features. I, I think there was definitely kind of a, it was going up for a long time. It just kept going down, 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 and now it's going back up. And uh, our uh, wonderful musicians, I mean, there's just, there's just is not enough work right now. So I, I just hope everybody can really stay safe so we can, we won't go back to normal, but ha find our new normal where we can employ all of those incredible musicians. What is it that you, uh, you all are working on now? I mean, uh, Chris had mentioned Young Justice season four. Is that, uh, is that the current project now? It is. We're, we're just about to start that. In another two weeks, we'll begin uh, scoring the first episode. And it'll be about a year's window to do all the episodes in that season. We're very excited about it. Now, take me, to, take me through that process. We, now, do you get scripts, or at, at what point do y'all get brought in? Everything's been recorded already, or do you get the scripts early enough that you can just kind of start planning the kind of, of music cuts where the cues are going to drop or is that something that after after everything's been recorded the production team decides this is where we want music or do you have any say in where those cues are um spotting is a very collaborative thing when we sit down with the producers to or zoom with the producers in this case um to figure out you know where the music needs to go to tell the best story and they their vision of that is really what's important and we can certainly offer our suggestions and and, and bring our instincts to the table uh, to help them tell the best story but but we can't do we can't do it without them so you know it, it's really the collaborative process of, of sitting there with their picture and talking about well what feels right here and what 
what are what is the story here that we're trying to tell and who are we with here and what are we saying here and if what we're saying you know doesn't it doesn't really enhance anything maybe we don't need to say anything here you know and let the picture just go and that process is so critical to what we do um, and it happens after usually after they have their picture locked now in this case because of the pandemic um, we've been invo more involved in this upcoming season with animatics that we've been watching, which are kind of line drawings that are sort of paced out. Right. Uh, and then we also have some, have artwork and scripts that we've been looking at, and we've been inspired by that. And we just, when we saw the first artwork, we were so inspired that we just started writing stuff right away because it was just like, wow, this is amazing. And it just, you know, the music just started flowing. So, you know, that's a different way that we've been working since we've been in our studios and isolated and wanting to make music um and so that's been a great way a great way of doing that and and then getting their feedback even though we don't have a picture yet but just mood and tone and color and those kinds of things that can you know get get our juices flowing creatively so that when we have our first spotting session we're already off and running yeah. Again, to talk about the 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 process, the timeline. Um, I know that the actors are recording something like the episodes twenty two, twenty three, something like that, right now, even before we've started scoring the first episode. So part of that process is already almost wrapped for this fourth season, and then all that time in between is is the uh, the time it takes for the animation to be created. Right. And and Lolita mentioned Andrea Romano. Has there have you noticed? any kind of a difference in the dynamic in the animation projects now that James Tucker is in charge as opposed to when, when Andrea was there because she, she was a mainstay for so long and any time there was a Warner Brothers animated picture that was superheroes or capes, Andrea Romano's name was right there. I mean, going all the way back to Super Friends and, and for her to decide, okay, I'm done, now it changes has that changed the dynamic of the shows that you've been working on at all in terms of tone, style, uh, anything going on behind the scenes, things are done different? Has the process been affected at all? Well, Andrea is a, a force of nature, and I know that she has a terrific relationship with the people, with the, you know, with Bruce Tim and with James Tucker and, and, and all these heavy hitter producers that she's worked with for years and that she does still appear at these fan, fan events. So, um, I mean, she's put in so much time that I love the fact that she's able to enjoy her life and do all sorts of other things and just, you know, she, she would always be welcome to do any kind, I mean, whatever, she can kind of pick and choose what she wants to do. So. Of course, everything changed. All dynamics change with whoever you introduce into into the picture. But um, I know that it's been, you know, for us the the little contact we do have with the voice directors, it's been very positive. And when we're on board, it's generally they kind of defer to us. Like you know, on on Young Justice, mm -hmm. JV Thompson. I know, Chris, you were doing something yesterday online, and right, you were you were kind of running the show for the thing that we that you had to do, which we can't say what it is, but. Like he had to do something, and and you were you were at that moment in charge, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, hey, booking. <laughs> <laughs> Does the dynamic between the three of you ever change? Is there you know like a first chair, somebody who who takes point on 
the process of of developing the cues and 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 interacting with production team or is it pretty much kind of a shared responsibility between the three of you pretty evenly we have somebody who uh, we, we rotate through responsibility of being a project point person but that's really just more of a, a scheduling and a, a a thing to make it easier for our clients that they know if we're on this show with dynamic music partners okay i'm going to call chris i'm going to call mike i'm going to call lolita uh, just to make it easy for them so they don't have to sit there scratching their head of, well, I want to communicate this to the composers, who do I call? Right. You know, but that's that's just more of an administrative kind of point. Creatively, we're always working together. Now, uh, Sci-Fi Snob in the chat uh, is asking about the, the Batman Beyond live action, and I know this is, this is not something that you can speak to as far as whether or not it's happening, but... I can confirm that there are rumors... <laughs> <laughs> well now let's let's game this out for a second if it turns out to be true that there's going to be a live action batman beyond have have you already got your pitch ready for doing the score is is there a shot do you guys have a shot at doing anything in the dc cinematic universe is that something that you guys have talked about trying to do or, or are you sticking with the animation and and maybe the tv side Jason, why don't you know we're on now? What? Why don't you pitch us? Go ahead, <laughs> pitch us. Tell the world how great it would be to have us do this. You know, let's, let's hear it. Well, and and, and, it, and to me, it makes a certain amount of sense given given that you already have a familiarity with the material and and your scores have for a lot of people been a piece of what makes the the Warner Brothers animated stuff work really well and and certainly that goes back to Shirley Walker's legacy and going back to Danny Elfman and 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 what came before but you guys have really kind of taken ownership of that in in your work and it seems to me that it would make sense that if you already have this established uh, body of work this library of musical cues from the show that it would it would make sense to just bring you guys back in to do it again for the live action I think you're absolutely right. I think you're right. I'm going to It's a lot that. of sense. So, so we from your from your mouth to uh, the the ears of of the uh, creatives who make those decisions. So, is there a live action Batman Beyond going on? <laughs> Chris, do you know anything more <laughs> about Batman Beyond? I can I can 100% say that I have no information at all. So, <laughs> There's just nothing we can even, we're not even going to be coy about it. I don't have a clue. Well, I've heard the rumors, so we do know that there are rumors about it, and they've been kind of ebbing and flowing over the past two or three years. I, we don't have any idea whether it's based in, in reality, but there are plenty of rumors. Yeah, well, I mean, and, you know, when they had Kevin Conroy recently in the whole Arrowverse, the Crisis on Infinite Earths thing, uh, having him being an older Batman, uh, that just set everything on fire, because, you know, well, they're doing it. We're seeing older Batman. Yeah. <laughs> well, now, you guys have all done film scores. Uh, and Lolita, I haven't really had a chance to get into this yet, but you were orchestrating uh, for a long while as well. Is that, and I've always wondered about this, because you have your composer and then you have the orchestrator. What's the difference for, for those on the outside who don't really understand the the process there you have the composer who's writing the writing the music 
Right. The orchestrator does what? Oh, it, it, it really varies. Um, and Christopher and Michael have also orchestrated for, for a bunch of you know, big name projects and a big name composers. Um, it can be as quote unquote simple as being, as taking something that is pretty much done and just doing a, a, a practical aspect of, okay, the composer says this is the line for the flute, putting that on the score so that the music copyist then can make a part that goes on the flute span. Um, it can be that. Sometimes orchestrators are taking just a few melodies that a composer has, you know, back in the day hummed into a tape recorder, or now it might just be a little doodling in their, in their uh, uh, recording uh, software that they're using. And then the orchestrator can take a little tune and make it sound like sound like a glorious John Williams score. So it's ev everything and in between, everything and in between. And it's, um, orchestration is, is key. I mean, it can make a huge difference to, to how things feel. So I think I, I can confirm that the three of us, I mean, we've had, we've worked with a wonderful orchestrator, Larry Wrench for years. Um, Larry is meticulous in detail and making sure that what we have already chosen is perfect. Um, but he doesn't decide that, oh, we're going to have the trumpet play the melody here. All those decisions are made by us. But there are other composers for whom that is not the case. So orchestrating for another composer is kind of fun sometimes if, they're, if you're making a bunch of the choices yourself. So, yeah. Michael or Christopher, do you have anything to add about that? That was very that was, comprehensive. Okay. Yeah, great. <laughs> Now, do you have uh, do you have an agent uh, per se to help you find these this work, or, or is this direct contact? You get to pitch the gig, they contact you, and they say, "What have you got?" Is there is there a a, a lot of go betweens, or or do you get a chance to just talk to people directly and say, "Here's what we can do, hire us." Uh, the the business is all about the relationships. So we do have relationships that we can talk directly to. We have relationships with people that can open the door for us somewhere else. We have a manager, McCall Marks, who also facilitates connections that we may not have the connections to. It's really D all of the above. And have there been any conversations at all for a DC live action picture? I think the studio will make one, yes. <laughs> <laughs> is that what you meant? <laughs> you know, it's very, it's just with everything going on right now, I think people are, are it, this global pause is, mm -hmm. uh, everybody is scrambling and trying to figure out how to create an atmosphere that can be sustainable for hopefully not the next one, but should there be a next type of situation like this. So there's a lot of reinvention going on because one thing's for sure, all of us, I mean, well, I'll speak for myself. I am absorbing all this content and I want more and more and more. So it's not like people don't want to watch TV or watch movies at home. So a lot of things, a lot of things are being produced and, and the whole digital world and the, how it's being presented is, is changing every second. You know, just when you think you figured it out, you hear that there's a new service and now somebody else owns something else and you don't even know where to find it. And anyway, it's, you'll yeah, know, you know more than we do probably. That's the thing. It's like we have to talk. Well, like part and parcel with this idea of a global pause is this, is the fact that everybody now, everybody, all the businesses now have sort of a chance to pause, you know, their, 
their constant output and think about how do we want to move forward? How do we want to present our, our, our work from this point forward? How do we want to evolve? You know, when you're in the middle of doing something and you're just, it's just this constant, you know, engine of, of revving and going and forward and forward and forward, there's not a lot of time to really think about how do I do this better or how do I do this differently. But now there's a lot of, of opportunity for all the studios to think about how are we going to, you know, get on board with streaming? How are we going to have our own service and present it around the world? How are we going to, to evolve the broadcast model and the advertising model to match? You know, all, all, all of this reinvention of what it means to get entertainment to people is being rethought and, and reworked. And I think we're all in a, in a period of sort of an unknown. We don't really know how this is all going to shake out. We're all going to try to keep making great product. And they're going to try to keep thinking about how can we best get this to people who really want it. And I think that this, this pandemic has provided that sort of you know, mental space to think about, okay, how do we really need to shift this to make it, you know, be ready for the future? And uh, for people to learn more about what you all are doing, I'm going to throw the, the website up here, dynamicmusicpartners.com, where they can see all about uh, what you guys are working on. And you're on social media, I think, uh, Chris and, and Lolita. Uh, Michael, I didn't see that you had any kind of a Twitter handle there, but uh, people can find you all on social media, yeah? Yeah, I exist on, on Facebook. Michael's a, tweet, uh, Michael's a tweeting maniac, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, find us on, on Twitter. We have uh, and Instagram, and uh, we do have uh, personal Facebook pages too, both for Dynamic Music Partners as well as uh, our individual social media. Um, before we go, definitely want to say something that's been long in the works that's finally going to happen is we are going to have a Young Justice Season 3 soundtrack CD. It's a double a double disc set, and it's coming out on the 24th of this month? Tuesday. I, Tuesday uh, through LaLaLandRecords.com. All right. Well, we will be looking forward to that. I may have to pick that up. Oh, please. <laughs> okay. Lolita Ritmanis, uh, Michael McQuistian, and Christopher Carter, our guests today, dynamicmusicpartners.com. I want to thank the three of you for, for joining us. Finally able to, to have this conversation. I've been, I've been I'm looking forward to this for a long while. So thanks very much for joining us. And uh, I do want to thank everybody in the chat for your comments and questions. If you are listening to this show as a podcast or if you're uh, or watching uh, in replay, uh, your comments are welcome as well. You can send us feedback either uh, through the comment fields or email live from the bunker at sci fi for me.com. Next week, Rob Geronimo will be here on Monday to talk about comic books. Uh, his, his comic, Blood Realm, is out. And we will have more live from the bunker tomorrow night on Deep Space Minds. We'll have Robert Meyer Burnett and Manny Cotto, who was the executive producer of Star Trek Enterprise during season four. They will be joining us for that. And, of course, we'll have a wrap-up of all of the week's headlines in genre Saturday morning on Good Morning Multiverse. And that's going to do it for us. Don't forget, you can get a discount when you use the promo code SciFi for me 10 over at SuperheroStuff.com. You get 10% off. And the money that you save there, you can send our way. We do have a Subscribestar account uh, and a PayPal link over in uh, the show notes, as well as uh, the newsletter that you can sign up for 
over there. I want to thank everybody for being here today. Uh, don't forget to hit the like button on your way out. Wash your hands. Tip your waiter. And we will be back on Monday. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.